Welcome to Pause Podcast. We are live here in Santa Monica. It's April 14th at 4 o'clock. And we are gathered in a beautiful room with lots of couches. We have women here from Minnesota. And you've been together since high school? That's wonderful. Thank you for coming. I know LA is exciting, and here you are in a little, like, couch session. Thank you. Well, maybe it'll move like Universal Studios at some point. We'll, we'll, we'll get some kind of ride going, I promise. Thank you for spending time. I really mean that. We've got someone from South Africa here. I think what's important to kind of reflect on before we jump into content here, most people in our society who have two jobs, three kids, one's going off to college, these are people that might not have time to give themselves the honor of saying, I, I need to take a second. What's going on? How do I pause for my own health? So in celebration of that, we are putting on these pod blasts to connect and to really dig in. This morning I was walking my dog and I stopped and sat on the porch for a few seconds with Marie and Tom who are an older couple down the road from me and Marie is in her early 80s and she's uh, sort of through chemo and she's just on the other side of cancer but she's very weak but very strong. She's an amazing woman. And I said to her, hey, I'm off to do another pause podcast. And she says, what's that? I said, you know, it's the, it's the show that we talk about menopause when we get together in a room and we actually talk about menopause. And she goes, oh my God, I wish you guys had that 30 years ago. I wish I had that 30 years ago. And we're gonna talk a lot today about what has changed contextually in our society so that we are doing this now versus why didn't they do it 30 years ago, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. And the opportunity that we have so that no one ever says, I was completely alone during those years. I didn't know what was going on. My doctor wasn't giving me the time of day. And change the paradigm. I'd like to welcome to the stage a woman that I had the honor of writing a book with on grief called Climbing Out from Under a Handbook for Heartbreak. In that brief year that I spoke with her almost weekly, I was so blown away by the depth of her knowledge, the breadth of her knowledge, and I knew that when we wanted to talk about our minds on menopause, she would be the person to do it. Thank you, Dr. Karen Post, for coming to speak with us. I wanted to start this conversation with the elephant in the room, which is the physical body is going through changes during menopause. We, uh, menopause defined as a year after your period stops. And then from there, that point on, it could be two to eight to 10 years where your hormones are changing, a lot of things are changing. And from a lens of a psychologist, I wanted to ask you to explain to us what's going on with our brains when hormones are not being produced at the rate that they were before they stopped. Great question. I used to run an organization called Maternal Mental Health Now, which was devoted to perinatal mental health, the time in a woman's life when she's pregnant and postpartum. And we focused a lot on postpartum depression. And then, too, the question of hormones was so important. Uh, why do some women get postpartum depression? There are these precipitous drops in hormones. Does that cause it? And it's a kind of similar answer to perimenopause and menopause as well, and that is, um, you know, is it me or is it my hormones? I think uh, we all wanna know, and what is happening with my hormones? And so I think that it's a, 
a kind of false binary, the idea, is it me or is it my hormones? You know when you have PMS, and some women, when they have PMS, they're very agitated, they have very intense moods, and I think our culture kind of trains us to say, it's just my hormones, you know? And um, then your period comes, and you're like, oh, well, whatever I was feeling or thinking is null and void. And my, my perspective is that that's not really true, so that while hormones play a role in all of these vulnerable or in hormonally intense periods in a woman's life, the menstrual cycle, pregnancy, postpartum, perimenopause, uh, and menopause, they play a role, but they don't solely account for our moods. Um, so in fact, there's a common misconception that estrogen plummets in this period, and that's actually not really the case. Um, wh what's more true is that there's great fluctuation. And also, whatever your hormonal state, research shows, you know, however little estrogen you have or any of the other hormones as well, that doesn't, that's not actually associated in a one-to-one -one correlation with depression or with an anxiety disorder. There are really a lot of other factors that go into it. And it's really more an individual's, an individual woman's predisposition or susceptibility to hormonal changes. So I know for myself, um, I was born apparently a very placid and happy and easygoing baby. Then I hit puberty, I got my period, and I, I did go crazy, really. I mean, it was very, very intense. Um, same was true for me when I gave birth. I had, uh, as a psychologist, I didn't realize, but I did have a postpartum, uh, agitated postpartum depression. So hormonal fluctuations were difficult for me. In the perimenopausal phase, I was pretty emotional as well, but I, I think I fared a little better in terms of intense uh, you know, emotions. And I'm loving menopause and the postmenopausal state. It's the best ever. I feel returned back to that kind of more content baby. <laughs> so I think that's a really interesting observation that you make about yourself, that you're at a time when you can reflect, wow, I'm on, I'm on the other side of this, mm -hmm. and I'm feeling super wonderful. I mean, not super wonderful. Yeah, but let's not get carried away. But you're feeling like that placidness of, of accept. Yes. It, yes. What, what, what's, what, is that a chemical thing, or is that just a... Um, I mean, I'm not splitting hairs here, but we're talking on the topic of chemicals. So yeah. what, do you think there's, that's a contributing to it somehow? Something? Well, I, I think it is, but of course we could never really know what part of what's going on, what percentage of it is contributed to by hormones, and what are other psychological or sociocultural factors. I mean, one of the most amazing things, I think, is to be able to use the intense emotions of the perimenopausal period and be able to work with them and see see them as a wake-up call and see what are they trying to shed light on. Just like when, if you happen to be a person who's PMS and you have some intense emotions, rather than dismissing them as just hormonal, you might say, okay, well, I know I'm not really that upset because, you know, my partner didn't turn the coffee on this morning, but what am I more deeply upset about and what's really unhappy about in my life right now or what changes need to be made? So I think it's a mixture. If you're listening to this podcast and you're one of the 80% who are not aware that you're going through menopause, I want 
Dr. Post to, start, to talk with you and me about the benefits of awareness in general. Like, is ignorance bliss? A lot of people say, I didn't even notice menopause. Some people say that. But is it that they just didn't know to notice and they might have had a way better time in their 40s and 50s if they knew what was going on and they did some um, behavioral changes to make their lives better? Well, it's an interesting question, but I think if you don't, if you're not noticing, it's hard to know why a person wouldn't be noticing. Maybe they're one of those people who are riding, you know, because there are great hormonal fluctuations for everyone. So maybe they just happen to be one of those people who uh, can ride those very easily, um, and that does happen. But for many, many women in the perimenopausal period, there are intense fluctuations, and I think awareness uh, of them. Uh, presence with them versus just distracting or only medicating away or trying to get rid of them, but turning toward them in some way, increasing awareness of them and what they're trying to, what they could be trying to tell you. Through your lens of psychology, mm -hmm. um, historical context, why are we talking about this now? Why wasn't it talked about two years ago, yeah. 10 years ago? I mean, it, there's 25 podcasts, talking heads in a room, talking about the things you think we're talking about, but there's not a big f movement that's really s saying loudly that this is a bigger medical issue, it's a societal issue, there are not enough, um, there's not enough support systems around this. Why now and what was happening years ago? Uh, that's such a great question. I think that, well, first of all, right now on planet Earth, the largest uh, group of individuals are baby boomer women uh, in the perimenopausal period. So we really are, um, you know, relatively speaking, an influential and large group who want, who some of whom become leaders, all who are educated and want to be educated about their own health and science. But I think, historically speaking, if we really go back, and to answer your question, um, you know, there was a matriarchal and goddess society, supposedly in Paleolithic times, you know, 30,000 BC, and, um, you know, anthropologists feel that it was around 7,000 BC that the patriarchal culture came into play. And since that time, really, that has been, there's been the, um, you know, dominion of uh, the patriarchy over, over women. And the idea of the goddess who is fertile and powerful has really, through the ages, I mean, really uh, taken its toll on, on women, I think. So that leads us all the way to current day, you know, patriarchy and misogyny. Um, we are more empowered than ever. Women have accomplished so much, uh, but there's a mix. I think we have internalized, to some degree, uh, misogyny and feelings, oh, I'm old, I'm an old woman. Uh, words like hag or crone or witch used to be very positive words long ago. A witch came from wit, which was wise. A crone came from the crown of the head, the center of wisdom. A hag was from um, Harry you know, Potter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it was it from Wisdom or Holy. No, a hag was from Holy. So you could just see even in what those words have come to mean, and and then I think as we begin to feel about ourselves as we age, and that gets internalized, and that definitely affects us. Again, I know for myself, I am determined to grow into my old lady face, and I 
con I look at pictures of Georgia O'Keeffe and of old women, and you know I love them, and I I try to kind of reprogram my own mind to not internalize that misogyny. So then cut to again to today's time, there's really new ways of looking at menopause and there's much, much less stigma. Uh, women are, are fighting back and are in positions of incredible power. So along with that are new ways of looking at menopause. So what does it mean to, is it the beginning of the end? Is it a slow and steady, de steady decline into dementia and you know, what's that? <laughs> Slow and slutty. <laughs> I like that. Decline. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> um, it's a new URL. I'm going to buy it later. <laughs> or is it an opportunity for growth? Or is it like a wake-up call? Is it the last wake-up call, so to speak? Because you're in the perimenopausal period, your emotions are so, really, they're strong and fluctuating. Women become very, can become extremely irritable. Is that bad? Am I turning into a mean, old, irritable lady? Or is that irritability actually uh, the wisdom of menopause? Is that irritability, the hormones, uh, it's like a, a hormonally, Christine Northrup calls it a hormonally mediated call from your inner self to grow. So what might that irritability be telling you? And if untended to, the irritability turns to anger and then rage. So what, is, what does it mean that I'm irritable because the person in the line next to me is chewing their gum too loud and then I'm irritable about this and I'm irritable about that? Well, maybe it means um, if I stop and pause about it, that for a long time, especially during the first half of my cycle, meaning the cycling years, the menstruating years, maybe I was very, very focused, because it was hormonally mediated and societally sanctioned as well, to really be focusing on the needs of others a lot. And I'm sure every woman in this room can relate to what that means, to be focusing on the needs of others as a dominant way of living. Nothing wrong with it, but that's how it's been for many years, whether you had gave birth to a child or just to ideas, hormonally you were being driven to be nurturer first. And societally speaking, women are not encouraged to say no and to set limits and boundaries. So in menopause, when those hormones then, are those, all those nurturing hormones are in fluctuation and then uh, you know when things have actually paused and are actually settled, some at a lower level, um, you're not as driven. It's not to say you couldn't be a good nurturer and you still don't care very much about people, but you're more likely to want to give birth to yourself. So what does the irritability mean? Maybe it means I need to set some boundaries that I never set before. I need to be aware, oh, I'm irritated. Maybe I haven't had enough time alone. Maybe I've been saying too many yeses. Maybe I've been worrying about people pleasing too much, and I'm starting to get really, really mad. Mm -hmm. And so that's so valuable. Once you come to a place of realization that you are worth examining why the guy's chewing gum bother is bothering you, you know, that's a sense of like, I'm gonna take a second to find out why I'm being triggered right now. I keep on deferring back to people who don't have the luxury of coming at a four o'clock on a Sunday, that they're too busy. I mean, we, it's, this is such a cushy moment we're having right here, and it's so beautiful, and, and at a service to those who can't, if you're in a moment when you're, whether it's you defined it as I'm in menopause or whatever, you're just having a swing and something is really 
getting at you and you're having a, an out-of-body but in-rage experience, take us to a place that we can get to where we can not make a wreck of our lives around us because of that moment. One, one thing in general is to do a centering and mindfulness experience and exercise that will help you settle yourself no matter what's going on. So imagine you're flooded in, an, in any way. Uh, your feelings are, are not just, you know, when emotions flow, they flow, and, and it's okay. We may have some strong emotions, but they're flowing through. When we feel flooded, um, it's much more difficult, and that's when an exercise such as centering could really help. So everyone get comfortable. If you're at home, please get into a space that's yours. No one's encroaching upon you. You deserve this. You know, this is California, and we're doing a centering exercise, and that sounds very cliche. But there is more and more research and money going towards the power of mindful uh, work when you're in a state that is out of control. So this is appropriate for all of us at any time in our lives, specifically right now. Okay, so we're going to do something to try to get grounded and centered. Um, and to be here now. And for me, being here now means that I'm fully aware and I'm focused in the present moment and I'm neither dissociated or distracted, which, um, as you know, that's a hard, hard thing to accomplish. It sounds simple, but it's not so simple. Something to think about is that we all have something in us that will enable us to do this very easily, and that is our bodies. It's the one thing that is not in the future or the past. So that's what this exercise is going to focus on, is awareness of your body in the present moment, using your body to bring you into the present moment. So just take some breaths, however you'd like to breathe, but become aware, turn your awareness to your breath, and focus however it comes to you on your in-breath as it goes in through your nostrils, or your chest, or wherever you feel it, and then on your exhale. First, we're gonna do that for a couple of breaths. And I'd like to invite you all to become aware of what you're experiencing right now in the present moment in your emotional bodies without trying to judge it or change it in any way if you can. So just to become aware of it. So that's an example of something you can do, you know. If you're finding yourself flooded with feelings, you can center uh, yourself like that because that's the beginning. Maybe it came to you that you had some sadness or maybe you had some agitation or maybe you felt calm. But it's only from the turning toward in answer to your question mm -hmm. that from there we can learn also how to communicate and advocate for what we need that's the value going back to what you were saying is that what good does awareness do mm -hmm. to have about all these emotions and in this phase of my life, aren't I better not knowing? The value is you can know and from that you can find ways to have unmet needs met either by yourself or by others and, and the other piece is learning how to communicate about them. I think a lot of people when they are looking for answers and they go let's say to the internet and they find this approach or that approach and it's, it gets overwhelming and, and 
to this to the point of how simple it is just to do something as old as taking a breath and being quiet for some people it's a really big step because they don't give themselves that moment and their culture doesn't support that moment so the mindfulness aspect of dealing with your mind on menopause is really provocative for some people because being quiet is scary because it's it's putting yourself first it's asking people to allow you to have that quiet space and a lot of people have trouble creating that boundary, speaking of boundaries. So that brings it up to the other question. Um, but before I jump into um, the boundary conversation, when it comes to taking breaths and being in our own bodies, I think for people um, who are listening who don't have a culture that really respects that, and that's a real thing. <laughs> There's a culture that doesn't think that this is, um, you, they wanna take a lot of pills rather than mitigate through other behaviors. What, what's your approach, or not even approach, what are you seeing in terms of over-medicating during this particular period of our lives? A lot of people during this particular period are taking a lot of sleeping tablets. They're taking some Xanax. They're doing a little more drinking. Um, does breathing replace all of that? Uh, I think not, really. And Just checking <laughs> in, just checking in. <laughs> And everybody's physiology is different, and some people we, we get the way we get to be the way we are for a lot of reasons: life experiences, unprocessed trauma, our attachment histories, our socioeconomic status, our our various intersectionalities in terms of our own privilege, uh, how hard life is on so many different levels, and. Um, intergenerational transmission of nervous systems. You know, people are very different and they inherit different nervous systems. And, um, and for various reasons and hard life events as well, people's nervous systems are uh, not so resilient and are not necessarily going to only respond to relaxation and meditation. And they, they may need some supplemental, whether it be herbs and supplements or uh, more traditional kinds of medications. Um, but I think it is important, even if one needs that, to not give up the ship on all of, uh, to keep exploring all of these ways, because they're not a panacea anyway. You know, if there was a pill that was a panacea, great. But, like, there really isn't, so. I think giving yourself an hour a week or, or 20 minutes, a t maybe 20 minutes a week, just to say, this is my me time that I'm going to, do a little research on what I'm going to try next to make myself feel better. You know, I think it's a commitment to have people, to have yourself say, I'm okay, self, I'm not feeling great during this time, and I'm going to take 20 minutes a week, and I'm going to, okay, is, am I going to do more sweet potatoes next week, or am I going to meditate next week, or am I going to go to mm -hmm. a book club? Or, I mean, there's, such, there's so many layers to this conversation with somebody who has never done anything for themselves. Absolutely, and there is a lot of research that says just, you know, and getting together in groups and doing some kind of relaxation together uh, actually lessens the symptoms of menopause and we've perimenopause. Been, we've been doing some outreach to to go around the country, want to go to different underserved communities and do this with local doctors and talking to you know places of worship, like church groups, like places where they're trying to um, minister to people who are having horrible times and they don't know what to call it. How important is the mind versus the, the yeah. sort of the soul gut connection? Yeah, well I think you're asking, if I'm having a rough time with this menopausal period, how do I know when to ask for help? Yeah. 
or should I be telling myself it's just menopause, or should I should I know and be able to recognize that maybe I need some professional help? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I think it is important to know, not, not to pathologize oneself, but to say, I've been suffering for a while, um, I'm feeling overwhelmed a lot, and to recognize signs and symptoms of depression, but just to say depression itself, it turns out to not be correlated uh, with menopause. You know, um, if you have a predisposition to depression, then yes. It's amplified. It's, it's amplified. amplified. Yeah. But, um, you know, so, but it is a harder time in life, and for so many of the reasons that you mentioned, uh, loss of status, loss of former, uh, um, you know, youthful looks in society. As we get older, we have more loss in general. Friends die, family members die, and um, there's a lot of hard things going on. And the beauty is that we, uh, to find the path towards that aha happy time that you, a lot of people are in afterwards is sort of the, uh, the end goal. Is, is, is there, the goal-oriented aspect, when people are trying to get in shape, they, I'm gonna lose five pounds and that's my goal. When you're in menopause and you see this trickling of all these new symptoms of weight gain, of irritability, of all this physical stuff, but you're hearing over there that some people are fabulous on the other side. Do we need a goal or do we just, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I don't think goals are bad, but if someone's hearing this and they're going, God, you know, I'm, do I, how do I get out of this? Is there an out of thisness? Uh, well, I don't know that I see it like that per se. I, think I didn't think you did. I knew you were gonna <laughs> tell me something different. That's why I asked the question. I think we go through it and it is lifelong. I mean, I think there is the, the hopeful message is that after the perimenopausal period, uh, hormones settle down, so there is hope there. But I do think by using the perimenopausal period, and again, all the emotions, whether it be anger or grief, and learning to work with them, whether you go to therapy or not go to therapy, you know, learning to listen to yourself as a woman, um, learning to pay attention to what's going on with you, which is a kind of new thing for a lot of women. I think that can, that can, change your trajectory and course. When we had the cardiologist a couple weeks ago, we were talking about the great three, the, the keep moving, keep active, eat healthy, and stay in community. Those are the ways that we can keep our hearts healthy and our minds healthy. If someone's out there and they're feeling lots of things, how do they know what doctor, OBGYNs are about the body and about HRT, hormone replacement therapy, and about you know taking blood tests and seeing where you are. D does someone go to an OBGYN first or do they call a, a psychologist first? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I, I think our medical system and medical care is extremely siloed and fragmented and it's very difficult, really difficult to get any kind of integrated care. So which portal you enter through, you know, can matter. Um, I think if you're suffering emotionally though, to, to my way of thinking, the best thing is to start with a mental health professional. Uh, and also not to underestimate the value of talking to friends, friend, the kind of friends you have who can listen, who don't judge, who can hold your you know, more intense emotions and let them know what you're feeling. That's really important. And that's really helpful just sometimes in and of itself, sharing your experience. And then uh, to me, I think uh, starting, but you know, a good mental health professional who also knows 
uh, when to refer and who to refer to and just doesn't see you as an only psychological mm -hmm. you know human being understands that you're a whole person as well and for that matter then you know it wouldn't matter who you saw because if you saw an OBGYN who was also holistic right. she, refer she you. would know to refer right. you right. Uh, that way as well have a story now. Each podcast, we invite somebody. At this point in our live pod blast, we have a storyteller who comes up on stage, and you can hear her story in its entirety at the end of this podcast in a separate file. And now we'll move on to the audience questions. Thanks. Thank you, drwise.com, for supporting this podcast. They have generously given us some product, which is in the back. And uh, they are an organization that's really committed to enabling women to look at remedies that are healthy, no contraindications with other ingredients. You can go to their website to learn about them, about mood and bladder control and hot flashes. It's very sexy and wonderful. DrWise.com. Story really helps us shape this conversation. And without audience questions, we just have lots of smart conversation with lots of facts flowing around. And it can, again, be overwhelming to people. When we frame it inside a new voice with a new question, I think it's helpful for people to really go, oh, God, that's, that's, that's me, or, that, or I get that, or I, I, was, I wish I could have asked that. So thank you guys again for putting together some questions. If anything else comes up, a question that you think about when we're having another question, just say, hey, I have another question. Hi, I'm Megan, and I was just wondering, my yoga therapy teacher recommended a natural adrenal support supplement for kidney support. Um, do you think that others would benefit from that tip as I felt it helped regulate control of cortisol levels in my body from stress? Yes, yes, and yes. Everyone needs a tip, especially, do you f is it helping you? Definitely, yeah, even if it is a placebo, it definitely feels like there's been a relief from tension. And, and I'm sleeping better. Can you talk a little bit about cortisol? Sure. I, th I do think um, in menopause, for sure, uh, very many women's adrenal glands are fatigued and uh, in need of some help. And an adrenal supplement can be very important. I personally also think it's important to have those levels, the levels of cortisol tested by... Uh, a professional, whether it be uh, as some kind of functional medicine doctor or an, another kind of or, or naturopath or any kind of uh, medical professional who does that so that then you also see is how much is the supplement helping me and how much do I need it. But very often women in menopause need some adrenal support. Thank you. I'm happy you're feeling better. Thank you. <laughs> Why is this time one in which wisdom can increase? You mentioned it a little earlier, and I was wondering if you could touch on that some more. Sure. Menopause, I mean. Sure. Um, so one thing going on I, in terms of the hormones, which I didn't mention, is that I think I did a little bit luteinizing hormone and gonadotropin uh, balancing hormone. Um, follicle-stimulating hormone, these actually increase, and it's thought that they act on centers in the brain that actually increase intuition. So, so all of these kind of imbalances are going on, some of these really hard things are going on, but that is also on the rise and continues to be on the rise, 
and is associated with uh, increased intuition. So all the more, if you use the symptoms of perimenopause, if you use the stronger emotions uh, to work through and come to understand yourself and your situation more, um, this, this um, hormonally mediated increase in intuition can really uh, continue to thrive. Does that make sense? That's where wise old woman comes from. Exactly. When I grow up, I want to be, be a, wise a wise old, old woman. woman. Hello, I'm Elizabeth. And I'm just wondering about a good resource. So you hear about the yams and primrose oil and all of that. So is there somewhere, or what are the top maybe two, three resources great. you great, would recommend? Great question. Um, I personally love a woman named Susan Weed, S-U-S-U-N, Weed, W-E-E-D. Um, she's an herbalist and one of those wise women. She, she's a great authority. You're talking about natural sorts of solutions. She's an incredible authority. So it's, I forgot the name of her book, but it's something with menopause and it's uh, easy to find and it's on Amazon. Um, I think Christine Northrup also really has a lot to say. She's open to all sorts of things, east, west, and everything in between. And her website, if you look up her website, uh, The Wisdom of Menopause, there, and there will be tons of resources there as well, including what she herself has written. She encourages people to explore their own solutions, and she doesn't discourage HRT but for, for all people, but to just continue to try to find what works for you. My question is, does it really end ever? <laughs> <laughs> or even begin, or really is it all just one continuous cycle that this is part of? You mean forever? Forever, yeah. That's <laughs> well, what it feels like right now. It feels, <laughs> feels right now. I, I don't know how to generally answer that. I mean, I myself am 63, so when I went into, like, my last period was at 50. And, and for me, it certainly got better and better. I still may, and, and really well in that way, like I said, but I still may have some days with uh, a hot flash here or there. But I, th so I, I don't know if it ever ends in, entirely in terms of hormonal shifts, but you know, I understand, and again, I'm not an expert in hormones, but I understand um, that really hormones, even before all of this, even, you know, they really, it's so fluctuating on a daily basis. It's not like there's a, a picture ever of some great stability, you know. And so um, I do think, though, from what I understand, that the perimenopausal period, and is that what you're in? Yes, I, that comes to an end. And that comes to an end a year after your last period. And you don't know that, and you won't know that until a year later. Because you might get, you know, have a period and then get one in seven months, and then so you're not, you know. So it, goes, it can go on a long time, and I think that's what you're saying, what I'm hearing you say. It's a long time. Yeah, <laughs> it is basically just sort of, is it? No, it's not. Now we get to start yeah. the year all over again. Exactly. And then we get to start it all over again. Yes, so you're in so that yeah. very, that's a very hard place to be in. It's very uncertain and unpredictable and... Um, and also then, one of those possible states that can be good to promote, if you could reframe it mm -hmm. for growth. Oh, everything used to be so predictable for me. 
basically, at least even if my cycles were irregular, there was some reg more regularity than there is now. And so it's a, it's a mind shift and an opportunity to shift that, but also really hard until it settles down. But I believe it does settle down, okay. for sure. Yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that men also go through their own menopause. And is this possible? Uh, some of the symptoms do seem to be similar, the sweating, irritability, fatigue, et cetera. Uh-huh. In interesting. Um, I'm not oh. that familiar with, with those symptoms for men. I am aware that men go through a lot of changes as they age and things shift for them as well, emotionally and psychologically, and they might tend more to turn toward hearth and home and uh, uh, reevaluate their lives in different ways and a lot of things associated with aging. And I would imagine there are, there are lots of hormonal shifts for them. Well, there are two men here, so don't be don't feel yeah. like we're looking at you. <laughs> I've been the same since I was three years old. <laughs> so the one question I wanted to ask, this kind of like losing your mind. Um, is that a hormonal thing? Um, is that like just an age thing? Is does something physiologically happen? And is there something that you can actually do about it, or is it because of a loss of sleep? What does it come yeah. from? Can, can you define a little more losing your mind? Yeah, like more like your memory loss, so uh, um, intense memory loss yeah. that you can't remember what happened this morning. Um, right. Things like that. Right. It's our anniversary, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so you're talking about memory loss, and you're in perimenopause, right? No, 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 menopause. Uh-huh, for how long? Three years. I know that brain fog and memory loss are definitely associated with uh, the hormonal changes of perimenopause, particularly uh, the erraticness of estrogen. Estrogen is used to bring blood flow to different parts of the brain, and when it's erratic, it's high, it's low, and your body's trying to compensate for it. That's considered, again, I don't understand the finer mechanisms than that, but that can contribute to memory loss and brain fog. And, and there is aging, you know, we are aging, and as you age, certain kinds of aspects of your mind are more potent, like intuition and certain things. Short-term memory definitely declines with, with age. Um, that being said, if you're feeling like it's more extreme, I mean, I think it's always good to have that checked out also. Again, it's a fine line between I'm losing my mind, you know, my memory's not as, you know, I left my glasses in the butter dish, you know, I mean, <laughs> kind of thing, or why did I walk into the room, what am I doing, or uh, let me turn the coffee on, but I actually turned it on, like, just two minutes ago. You talk about that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I think some is just cognitive decline as we age, and there are things to do to improve that, and those should be done. There's physical exercise, there's uh, mental exercises to try to keep the brain going, and there are apps for that. And certain foods, I think what the omega-3s are supposed to be very good for that, mm -hmm. fish oil, omega-3s, but I'm not a medical doctor. Okay, so I have one, can I ask another question? Yeah. So she was talking about having too much no, no, not enough estrogen. And then there's something about estrogen dominance as well. Does that just vary per person? Like, is there one particular thing that happens in the body to everyone? Or I think it varies, but from what I can understand, that the perimenopausal period 
has, uh, generally speaking, perhaps for most women, this is my understanding, that there will be days and times of estrogen dominance and days of times of not enough estrogen. And it's my understanding that it's that kind of fluctuation that really, uh, and the body's attempt to adjust to that fluctuation that can cause brain fog and some of the other symptoms. That's what I understand. Hi, I'm Carol. Hi, Carol. And I'm Crone. Crone, um, we got a Crone. <laughs> um, 25 years ago, when my generation and myself were going through menopause, it was considered to be the first generation of women that really talked about it. Gail Sheehy was actually writing right. a book about it at that time. When you began to speak, you said that, is it true, a, is it a, a new conversation again? Do women, are women hesitant to talk about it? Does it feel as though it's something that they mm. don't want to deal mm. with? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think I was saying that um, there still is, still remains internalized misogyny and there's still a loathsome feeling. Am I old? I'm in menopause, am I old, right. you know? So I, I feel like it still exists, but yes, thanks to your generation breaking down the barriers, it's much, much more of a conversation, but I don't think it's gone away. The stigma is more what I was saying, right. but just improved. Well, I was thinking about it. Obviously, this is a group that really wants to know, but I was thinking even the way young women, you know, you girls know that they're going to, you know, begin to menstruate. You know, is there a way to have more, it's more body education. Mm -hmm. This is, how can we prepare ourselves in a positive way? Mm -hmm. Great question. I think that's a societal question. I think that we have, sh we have a world where you could see anything on TV right now. Anything, any sex act, any language combination you could hear on TV. But the body positive stuff is a conversation, you know. I think Lena Dunham talked a lot about uh, you know showing all kinds of bodies, celebrating all kinds of positions, and we all were liberated, right? But it didn't touch this conversation yet. People still have shame around it. So does it start with talking about when you have your period, it's a beautiful thing, blah, 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 and can we embed in that the big message that every prime of our life is a beautiful prime? I mean, it's, it's, it's a beautiful question. I mean, obviously, everything, every woman has a different experience, but to the degree that you feel uncomfortable with the fact that you're experiencing this change in your life, do symptoms also correlate to that? Absolutely, that's what I, w I, I, I hoped to communicate, and I'm glad you asked that question to underscore it. So that internalized self-loathing, shame, stigma, that affects your, your mood, and, and that can even directly affect your hormones. and. That's, a, that's one of the huge factors. That's why it's not just about hormones. I have a question for you, and that is, uh, when you were 25 years ago, would you have, um, what, what were you having, consciousness raising groups? Were you having group discussions? Yes, I mean, it was interesting when Gail, she came to town and she interviewed us. But I think as a group, we were exploring everything at that time. And there were some um, there were some gynecologists that you know a, a woman named Judith Reichman actually I think she's retired now, but she brought a group of us together because we were so unaware of what was going on with our bodies we didn't even know what it meant what was happening to us going through menopause so that was all kind of fascinating to really mm -hmm. see that and. I mean, it was a, it was a tremendous learning experience. Yeah. It really was. I know that for many of us, even just doing a lot of yoga really helped. Mm -hmm. That was a mm -hmm. big help. Yeah. You know, for some of us, but you know, it's more education. And I think about 
you know, young women really having more ownership of everything that goes on with their body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Amen to that. Thank you. I have two questions, and they're pretty closely related, so I, I will read both. Is there an average time that people are in menopause? And then is there any medical test to actually tell if you are over menopause? After watching my mother struggle for almost 10 years, being semi-miserable, I'm just wondering again if there is some type of test that can tell you if you're over it and what that average time might be for most women. About two to eight years for perimenopause, and then menopause is considered, uh, you've, some people see it as you've achieved menopause um, <laughs> when, <laughs> when you've stopped menstruating for a year. Uh, but then, uh, as you were saying, Deborah, there's another point of view that says it just goes on and yeah. on, it goes on forever, menopause, because it's paused. But I, I don't know what, how useful that distinction really is, and I don't know what a test would be. When I was listening, I think, to you talking about the beginning of menopause, I just want you to know there is something called menopause babies. Do you know about them? Oh, you're still, you're still very much likely to get pregnant, so don't be surprised. And that's when you suddenly you find someone having uh, that, that last child that they yeah. just, that's a menopause baby a lot of times. And I, I was in the film business, there was always a, a, a phrase that went on, menopausal marries, they were called. <laughs> and then the third thing is, I just want you all to know that in the old days, our husbands could put us into mental institutions mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. during menopause. I think that's what held mm-hmm. Zelda Fitzgerald, didn't he Zelda Fitzgerald. lock her up? So on a, on a good note, look, that's not <laughs> happening anymore. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. These are great questions. Are we good with questions anymore? Did you have one? Sure. Um, I just wanted to know if if you all knew, anyone knows, what part of the world has the most amount of women in menopause and what part of the world has the least amount? Well, we know there's 40 million in the United States right now that are considered women in menopause and then there's 120 million kind of at the waiting line of menopause. And then there's 6,000 a day. I mean, these are numbers I, I've seen, but in terms of in the world, it's a population question. I that might, know. that you know of, that might have the least amount of women that has the mm. menopause. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. What? Yeah. Which is, yeah. yeah. Well, it, just, it would be interesting where the women that are not having menopause. Right. Mm. You mean, not, you're saying everyone goes to menopause, you're saying symptoms. Okay. Okay. Yes. You're, you're, I, I, you're, so let me frame your question differently. You were wondering where in the world are there a concentrated amount of women who are not having symptoms of menopause? And I want to speak to a book I read called The Jungle Effect, uh, written by uh, a great doctor. <laughs> and I actually had her on another podcast I had called Get Smart Radio, and we talked about, she wrote a book on different parts of the world that had didn't have certain kinds of cancer. Like Cameroon had no heart disease. This place had no colon cancer ever. This place never had breast cancer in Greece somewhere. And she would go and she would study the diets and study the ideas. And she came up with a premise that if if you know where you come from, she's one of those people that says, know what your body type is, but know where your blood type is, know your history, and eat in that history zone. 
So if you're from Middle Eastern background, probably Middle Eastern foods, Mediterranean diet is probably good for you. It's a great book to get, by the way, uh, The Jungle Effect, it's called. I want to put a button on the diet conversation for a second. There, there's a good reason to have a dietitian up here, a nutritionist up here, to talk about basic conversations about basic food groups and how they work with the bodies. And what we call common sense to other people from their tastes is they can't do it. They don't enjoy the broccoli. They don't enjoy the whole grains. They don't enjoy the foods that might be best for them to have a lot of during this time. So there has to be a, a, a larger conversation of embracing, you know, what are the tiny baby steps a person can do to feel a little bit better. And I'm a big proponent of don't do the big diet and change your life. Do the little lifestyle shifts that are going to make you happier, like drinking more water. I've been reading constantly about the water, water, water during this time. It flushes your system. Mm -hmm. It keeps your, your organs moving and doing their thing. Um, so it's, it's interesting to think about the combination of practitioners you would love to talk to if you had a million bucks. I want a dietitian. I want a trainer. I want a therapist. I want an OBGYN. I want a cardiologist. If we go online to find all those things, it's going to be a, a nightmare because you're going to hear all these different perspectives and it, it, it's difficult. So the best alchemy I can think of is to listen carefully, discuss a lot, and take care to not um, to have those moments when you're stressed about the information to take a break and say, how am I feeling? What do I need right now? And, and take it in little baby steps. Uh, so for Pause Podcast, it's the last of our three pilot episodes in season one of Los Angeles. Our goal is to move this once a month into different cities, urban and, and uh, rural cities around the country to serve more underserved communities who probably have one OBGYN for every thousand women. And we'd like to land there, have that OBGYN up on the stage along with a therapist to have that nice balance of mind and body and invite them to come on a Sunday morning. We'll do some kind of beautiful workshop, then we'll have a beautiful meal, and then we'll have the podcast to kind of give them a sense of, of landing in a place where it's okay to talk about this issue. It's okay to find um, out what your language is. Are you, are you full of shame that you're not talking about? Are you full of anxiety and depression? Is it external? Is it internal? And really kind of open up people's minds to this conversation. And then over time, we'll have a bunch of podcasts from a bunch of different places, and we'll have an archive that will really reframe and sort of maybe amplify this conversation in a way that, that it needs to be. I feel like our conversation around menopause and all the complexities it entails has to get to a place where it bubbles up to a commonplace conversation. When you have 6,000 women a day, 40 million at any given time in menopause, and they're not doing well, it has a ripple effect. So as we become president of the United States, and as we run, as we run Congress, and as we run companies, we will be a conscious community doing it, and we'll understand how to welcome in the conversation as opposed to putting it in the closet and being ashamed about it. I wanted to also take the time to thank drwise.com for supporting this podcast. I want to thank Alicia Sedwick as our wonderful producer, Philip Christensen, do documentary film work, um, Dr. Karen Post for being here and being so brilliant, for DIYhuman.org for donating this space. I'm Deborah Pardes, and I'm the creator of Pause Podcast, and thank you so much for coming.